so the first three missions, I overall very much liked the series. And then the fourth one came out. And I don't know if I like this series anymore. Welcome to Love It or Weave It, where we let you know if we love an anime enough to recommend it to everyone or if it's just for the worst of the weaves. I'm Annie, and I've never been scammed. I'm the scammer. Thank you. <laughs> I'm Jeff, and I got scammed of my like super rare holographic Red Eyes Black Dragon because this kid came up to me with this really basic deck, and then once I agreed to battle him, he switched, swapped out for a really good deck. So I've been burned. You just walked away with it? Well, he we agreed to the terms of the duel, and then he used a different deck, and then I was too awkward. Oh, to you did an anti-duel, <laughs> you fool. Yeah. Oh. But yeah, if you uh, recognize that voice, it's because he's been on the show before. Yes, I'm Nick, and one time uh, a fake debt collector tried to say that they were going to collect all of my PayPal debt when I didn't have any. I did not get successfully scammed. Oh, you were too smart to get scammed, unlike me. It was actually me. It was me who was trying to scam <laughs> you. I'm so sorry. Okay, I'll, I'll uh, make sure to just change the uh, content information to your address then. All right. Thank you. <laughs> if you're new to the podcast, each week we watch the first three episodes of a new anime and cast our votes to love it or a wee bit. And for the shows that we do decide that we love, we check back in once the whole season of the show is out and then do a full review, which is what we're doing this week with a full review of Great Pretender, which both seasons of which are available subbed and dubbed on Netflix internationally now. And before we get into the discussion of this show, I want to lay the ground rules, which I may have just broken, that the first person to say the Great Pretender instead of Great Pretender loses the podcast and gets kicked off forever. Easy. I will not lose that. I forget the name of this show constantly. <laughs> uh, but before we talk about Great Pretender, do you guys have any anime or things that are basically anime that you've been reading or watching lately? I know, Nick, you read uh, tons and tons of manga. So if there's anything that stands out recently. <laughs> of, I mean, as of the in between the, rec- the recording that I was present for last time and this recording, uh, Chainsaw Man ended, question mark, but didn't. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Also, we never learned, which had a very stupid ending because it ended five times, six times, actually. It ended six times. It was it was very <laughs> annoying. I kind of, like, as excited as I am for Chainsaw Man to continue, I kind of hope that it, like, I think it would be a perfect ending if it ended by saying end of part one and there was never a part two. That would be so funny. That would be very characteristic of it. Yeah, but, but I am excited to see more, so. I no, wonder why I'm, they uh, have to move it. Is there going to be a boob? Well, considering how one of the chapters opened, probably. <laughs> I can't wait. I gotta read. <laughs> I, if you haven't read the chapter, there is one in which there's this two-page color spread that is just a full-blown lesbian orgy. And somehow, <laughs> I mean, like. Somehow that slipped in. There's, like, no nipples or, like, um pubic Cowards. area fully visible but like <laughs> there is no mistaking what is going on and um he just did that and um they put it in jump and it was like all right you we were not putting this on viz i guess <laughs> or the app the viz app yeah yeah like it's web only my, my favorite example of things that were printed in show and jump that probably shouldn't have been but <laughs> was oh which which harem series am i thinking of is it's not yuna but is it yuna maybe 
the end of the couple. Yuna did the thing with the uh, tapioca pudding. Yeah, the tapioca balls. Yeah. What? Uh, and you don't know the story? No, I'm scared. The author did this thing that was admittedly clever, but also like you shouldn't have done this, which was there is all tons of boob shots in Yuna. But they're always covered up by like steam trails because it's set at like a hot spring in. And mm-hmm. so uh, he did a cover page that was like that, where I don't even know what character was because I don't know these gar- the characters' names. Um, she's, you know, re- reclining backwards with her boobs sticking out, but the steam trails are covering up her nipples. But by random circumstance, I'm sure, on the very next page, there is this close up of. The, these tapioca balls uh and they just so happen to be right where her nipples would be so if let you oh like hold the page up to the light then it gets rid of the of the censorship i can't but i hate this <laughs> there was a lot of controversy around it at the time because i mean it, it's you know peddling porn to teenagers basically <laughs> Yeah, because like also like the physical shonen jump volumes are paper like the paper is super thin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> you don't even need to hold it up to the light; just push down. <laughs> <laughs> it's so clever, though. Like as much as I don't, I don't think I agree with it morally, but like the cleverness is top notch. It's a scam, really. Oh my god, it, Jeff, are you reading or watching anything? Uh, no, I've just been <laughs> uh, huddled up in a ball watching Gay Pretender twenty four seven. To... Yeah, the last time we recorded yeah. was what two days ago. So when <laughs> yeah. would we have had the time? Oh, uh, I, I did watch one more episode of Jujutsu Kaisen, which continues to to be good, but mm-hmm. that's not much to talk about there. So yeah, so let's let's get into Great Pretender. Nick, as the guest, it is your burden to explain what Great Pretender is about. Okay, so Great Pretender, comma the screw it, uh, is. Um, <laughs> is a crime anime series. It is. It starts off as being about this kind of almost rookie, I guess it turns out, a con man in Japan named uh, Makoto Edomura, who is pulling off this these schemes on these kind of un, un, very vulnerable kind of people, older people in Japan, uh, tourists and stuff like that. And he tries to con a who turns out to be a much more experienced foreign comman named Laurent and uh, gets ripped off in retaliation and basically decides that uh, as he's being chased by police who have been, you know, notified of what he has done, that uh, the best thing for him to do is to go after Laurent and basically get in a dick measuring contest with him, uh, which he keeps on losing. Uh, so inevitably, he ends up kind of joining Laurent's international crime ring of con men who are kind of a Robin Hood type of group. They target uh, very rich people who exploit the weak and vulnerable and rip them off for millions and millions and millions of dollars. And they um, have a have a good time doing it. And there are four different cases across the two different seasons of the anime that have been released in, on Netflix so far. And that's about it. I, I guess going into those four different cases a little bit, each each case is set in a different uh, country. It's a very globe-trotting series. Uh, the first one set in LA, the second one in Singapore, third in... I actually wasn't sure about this because it's called Snow of London. I think it's also set in London. It is, yeah. Because it starts off in France. And then I was like, did they stay in France? No, I guess they're in London. And the third one is mainly in Tokyo, 
with a little bit of a little bit of Shanghai. So uh, yeah, it's it's interesting getting all those different locations. But yeah, we we did a three episode preview on the show, and we're very sold on it. And I am curious to hear Annie, your how has your opinion changed now that you've seen the whole show? Okay, so I did have to binge this because I didn't. I'm not good at time management. <laughs> but I think that, I mean, I also binged it very rapidly, like last night. But I think that's a fitting, that's how a lot of people watch the show. As soon as it dropped, they just that's true. ate it all up in a sitting or two. So Yeah, well, okay, so last time we did a full like thing we had to binge, it was Penguin Drum that had this many episodes. <laughs> and I wanted to kill myself. Um, it was so long and awful, and I hated it. And this one, I didn't want to die. I was actually very interested. So that's my thoughts on this one. Is it's, <laughs> That means it's good. And it did meet my criteria of things that are good. The bare minimum is it has to make me cry. And I did cry. So good job, great pretender. <laughs> I think actually the, I remember one of your complaints early on was that it was very predictable. Like everyone was yes. topping each other. Not literally. Oh my God. Now I'm imagining hey. some spicy fanfic. But um. Everyone was one-upping each other, and it was kind of predictable because, like, the escalation was kind of obvious that, like, oh, this would actually turn out to be a fake out, whatever. But I think that actually made it a much better experience to watch rapidly in a binge fashion because I didn't have time to think about those things. It was just, like, keep feeding the content and just, you know, have the hose of content pouring down my mouth and don't have time to question things and it worked but if i had actually been like pausing to think about what was going on i probably could have maybe guessed where things were going each time but without having time to think it worked pretty well yeah i think it was still very predictable but in a way that it was still fun so nick we haven't heard your initial impressions on the show and you you approached us because you after watching the end of it just Mm -hmm. needed to talk about it right Right. So um, a few weeks ago, I kind of asked you like, hey, what kind of stuff are you looking into doing for this show? And you shared with me, you know, your general plans for like future episodes and stuff. And uh, so that's how I ended up being on the Jujutsu Kaisen episode. And we were all like, oh, it was great. Had a a great time with this and stuff. Um, And with Great Pretender, I had been to that point because I had already watched the first season by then. Uh, and we were awaiting the release of the second one. It was, I think, like a week out or something around that point. And uh, so had I appeared right then when I found out you guys were going to do a full review of Great Pretender, my thoughts would have been, oh, it's not completely perfect, but this is a, a series that is very much my speed. Uh, I love I, I love a lot of heist plots. Um there is a show that I'm going to probably make comparisons and mentions of to a lot uh, as we talk about the series as a whole, which it was a late 2000s, early 2010s uh, TNT series called Leverage, which had a very similar premise. And uh, so the first three missions, I overall very much liked the series. And then the fourth one came out and... I don't know if I like this series anymore. Uh, <laughs> I guess I should also explain that like the first season is three cases that are all kind of like, you know, like four to five episode arcs. And then the yes. second season is one, one giant nine episode arc. And uh, it, it comes down to like, I don't like the way that the fourth mission, the second season, everything gets res- resolved. And it, because everything was like, Oh, all of this has kind of been built up to this second season. It makes me wonder, like, is this like, you know, going to be if they continue on with it? Is it going to be like this? Am I going to watch more? 
and all that kind of stuff. And so it has kind of tainted a lot of my enjoyment of the previous uh, part of the series. Overall, I would say that I liked it, but I would have I would be a lot more enthusiastically like this is good. And I feel like people should give it a shot and, and try it out if I hadn't watched that second season by this point. Yeah, I I totally resonate with that. I feel like, well, I mean, first off, to explain how we're going to format this episode, we're going to talk about things in general without spoilers, and then we're going to dive into each arc, spoiler, spoiler full, arc by arc. So if you haven't finished watching the show, hopefully you can still finish watching the part before listening to each part of the podcast. But oh, yeah, the uh, the, the second season definitely leaves a, a very sour taste on the... Uh, We'll get into it more once we get to that arc. Yes, yes. Yeah, I got, I've got a lot of bones to pick with that season. <laughs> yeah, I think it's, for me, it's mainly the end, but it's also just the whole the whole thing is kind of, yeah, yeah I, I don't know. I feel like if, if you take the first season and second season as separate entities, the first season, yeah, but much more willing to recommend to people uh, wholeheartedly and without reservation. But yeah. <laughs> it was not great. <laughs> The the things that like the general things that stand out from the show are like the for me are like the fantastic backgrounds, the lively characters, the elaborate plots, and all those elements are there throughout the whole show. But there's just the writing and scenario in the second season, the fourth case are just uh, a little a little yikes. Yes. Okay. So are we diving into the first season now? No. Okay. What are we doing? We still haven't talked about any of the things, of the, only the general. Well, we can't without talking about the spoilers. <laughs> I don't know how to talk about this without talking about spoilers. Well, I guess I guess it's a lot of the general aspects of the show, like the animation, the writing, and and those kind of aspects of it. I think we got a a fair taste of those from the first three episodes, and I don't know how. I guess there's not much to report on after the whole show, aside from like. Yep, kept kept it up. It, it's not like it dipped in quality or like ended up being lar- much more bombastic than we expected from those first few episodes. I guess the only thing I'd say is that the music. I thought I did not care for the music in the first three episodes, especially that like I think the the only insert songs in the first three episodes were like that that rap music that was playing on, on the stereos. That, oh, that was so funny. <laughs> um, but there is, I thought, some really great insert music later on, especially in the in the third arc, the Snow of London arc. And it's hard to, a lot of the resources, like fan wikis and stuff for the show, have not updated for season two, so I can't find listings of the uh, insert songs from the second season, but I could have sworn there was, some, there was some good ones there too. The opening and ending continue to be fantastic. By the end of by the end of them, I kind of got bored of hearing the same opening and ending over and over again, but... That makes one of us. <laughs> um, maybe we can, maybe we should wait until we get into, into uh, plot details about what made Annie cry, but I, I think the insert songs did a good job of evoking emotion. Um, and they're, they're pretty good on their own, some of them. But one, another aspect that I think we should talk about before we get into plot details is the English dub. That's mainly what I watched. What did you guys, did you guys watch dubbed or sub? Oh, I did sub. I started, I started off watching the sub, but I hate Netflix's way of handling yeah. <laughs> subs because okay so they wouldn't translate any of the dialogue that was originally in english and so there was just no subtitles for it so 
it was very disorienting to read when uh, Makoto and Laurent are going back and forth between English and Japanese and reading the subs when they're speaking Japanese and then listening to their heavily accented dialogue in English without it. And, you know, switching back and forth between listening and reading was very disorienting to me. So we just switched over to English. And then there were still problems with that because Netflix doesn't have captions for its anime. It just has the subs. So if you're watching it in English, you're going to be listening to dialogue that is very slightly different from the English subtitles that it has. And then when they do something which is really cool, which is when dialogue is originally in English, they'll switch it to something that's different so that, you know, you have the same experience of, oh, this character is speaking a different language that I'm used to. And then they didn't translate that. And it felt like I was missing out on something. Yeah, so I guess we we both did the thing that I guess Netflix assumes no one does, which is switch the audio track to English and have the subtitle track to English. And I think Netflix just assumes no one does that because I think there there are moments. I think they're mainly in the fourth case where I went through that whole thing, being like, "Wow, I guess Cynthia talks a lot in French, and I guess we're just not supposed to know what she says." And then I tried later switch switching the tracks to to either if you watch it with the English audio and no subtitles, or if you watch it, Japanese audio with English subtitles, you're totally supposed to understand what she says because she's speaking, in the original Japanese track, she's speaking in English. So the subtitles don't translate that because you know what she's saying. But then the dub switches that to French. And since you get the, if you are watching it dubbed with no subtitles, then they subtitle her French. But if you're watching it dubbed with English subtitles, they remove the subtitles. So you get in this weird situation where if you turn off the subtitles, you get more subtitles. Like You guys should have just watched the sub. It, that's all I did. <laughs> yeah. I just I, said why I didn't. That's true. But it sounds it sounds less complicated than this mess that they've created. <laughs> I I don't envy them for like the task of dubbing this because this series has so many different languages. There are so many different locations. And I at one point, like I, I was mainly watching the English dub, so I could like more like passively watch it while like playing other games and stuff. And I, yeah, like having the subtitles on at the same time. So if you if you miss a word, you can cl- have it clarified and stuff. And at one point, I forget when it was. Oh yeah, I think it was in the fourth case where there's a point, like there's a plot detail where um, so Edamura is is a Japanese guy working for a Japanese company, but he's supposed to be the only person in the company that speaks some English. And he's supposed to be talking to these kids who don't know Japanese. And in the English dub track, that's hard to express the difference between English and Japanese because they're both presented as English. So like, I could see the subtitles be like, Edamura, translate this. And then Edamura would, I guess, translate into English. But instead, in the dub, they were just like, Edamura, yeah, you make them do that. And like... <laughs> okay, without going into plot details in the fourth arc or the like the second season... Mm-hmm. Was like the Chinese in Chinese. Yes, that's yes. the one thing they did not change. They kept all the Chinese, which was cool. It was it was cool yeah. to switch over and be like, oh, they didn't have to change anything. So yeah. Okay, cool. I was like, I don't know how they would have done this. <laughs> right. Like, I guess they were most fraught with the interplay between English and Japanese. Yeah. But yeah, I, one thing I should mention about the English dub that I was not that happy with is in that fourth case where there are two prominent characters who in the Japanese audio track, are just speaking normal Japanese. But in the English dub, they gave them a very heavily accented English. So they I don't, they, they, are not speaking unaccented English, which felt very weird. 
And especially since none of the other cast has strong accents, um, it felt a little bit like, well, they're in Japan, so give them a like, you know, like Japanese accent. And it's like, mm, but, mm. but at one point while I was watching mainly dubbed, I had the thought of like, this is so confusing. I should switch to the Japanese audio track to get the more authentic canonical experience. But then I realized like the Japanese audio track is not canonical either. Like these characters are not supposed to be fluent in Japanese or some of them are, but I don't think all of them are. And they're just like magically presenting it in Japanese. I think in the same way that like Yuri and I did where it's like, if you think about it, you can guess what language they're supposed to be using, but like it's all just Japanese to make it easier to watch in Japan. So Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think the Japanese audio track is like any more canonical than the English track, but canonically they're all of the uh all the con men are speaking English and Edamora should be speaking it somewhat awkwardly. Uh there right. are a few moments when like they make it obvious that like he doesn't have a 100% perfect grasp of the language, but he speaks it very well, you know, for someone who hadn't been speaking it hadn't hadn't been having to speak it a whole lot uh and multilingualism is a big thing in the series uh it's kind of an odd thing to have it be presented in in a context of like how great it is to be multilingual and then having to cater to audiences that are not (laughs) yeah it was I don't know. I I had the same problem with Yuri on Ice. Is I wish they. I know it's like an impossible task, but to have everyone like like speaking in like the language that they're speaking, like have everyone be speaking in English when they're talking to each other, and then like Chinese when they're talking in Chinese and like Japanese and so on. And it's just so like I know that's like almost impossible to do for this and like cast for that, especially like Laurent's character. He was like fluent in what like seven languages. <laughs> Apparently, yeah. Who would you cast? I mean, at least, yeah, like they put in the effort to get Chinese actors, or at least get people who are fluent in Chinese for those sequences. But I guess that's limited to, it was limited to a single case. And I guess having the main cast speaking in a non-Japanese language for the majority of the show would have been, would have been very tough. Um, And I know like there was that scene very early on in, I think, episode one, where they like basically had like the card on screen. It's like, don't think about it too much. It's just well presented in Japanese. Like, don't think about it. So I guess they, uh, I don't know. Yeah. In some ways, I want you to not think about it. In other ways, it's like very important to to the characters and the themes of the show about what language they can or can't speak. So, Well, this is a Netflix produced show. So I will say that my bone of con- contention is with the way that Netflix handles the subs and captions and dub and doesn't have yeah. a lot of coordination between them seemingly. And I know that it's very it, cuz there are two different processes when you close caption something versus when you provide a sub of a uh, foreign language series but come on just <laughs> it's just really annoying to me put in a little more effort you know it's it's totally possible like cuz you could either have a separate english english um subtitle track that said like english cc or i've even seen i can't remember where exactly but i know i've seen i think on netflix cases where the subtitle track, even if you choose English, it's the same subtitle track. But if you change the audio, it actually changes the contents of the subtitle track to match the English dub script. Just put English words on the bottom of the screen <laughs> for every piece of dialogue. <laughs> That's all I'm asking. It wasn't, but but there are times where there were a lot, a lot of title cards where they would announce the setting 
like, oh, this place is in Nice or this place is in blah, 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 Japan, whatever. And if you are watching, I think I actually tried all the three different variants, but like in two out of three of those different ways you're watching, I think the only way that it actually translated those was if you did Japanese audio and English subtitles. Wait, no, that didn't. I was I was watching in I was watching in English English with English subtitles and I got those translated. Oh, you did get those. Yeah. Why did I not get a bunch of them? This is so yeah, confusing. <laughs> of like the locations and stuff. Yeah, I mean, I could read most of them, so I was like, Oh, they they popped up at the top of the screen, and they so if you were trying to read the bottom and you didn't like look up at the very top of the screen, you might have missed them. I did that a couple times. Speaking of look up, I finally watched Last Christmas. Such a good movie. Oh my God, shut up. <laughs> oh. Also a twist in that one. The dub, the dubbing and subbing scripts, not great to like try to do both of them at the same time. But it's also weird because like they clearly, for Japanese, the Japanese subtitle track is closed captioning. So like they clearly understand that like that is an important thing to have yeah. for one market and well uh, we there's yeah. a bigger accessibility issue with netflix that we're not we're not going to be able to solve right now but no unfortunately <laughs> well unless we scam them into fixing their process shut up <laughs> so annie we're gonna have you disguise yourself I'm as a netflix it. employee I'm on it i'm going in Okay, so I think that's that's kind of all of the things that I I had to say about the show in general. We did get a Twitter question, but it is very um, spoiler filled, so we'll I think we'll wait until the we'll save the fourth case for that. Okay, case one. Yeah, case closed. Detective Conan, let's go. Shut up. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so the Los Angeles connection. So when they were we already covered part of this in our like three preview. It's when they're trying to scam the movie guy who's making drugs. Eddie Cassano, apparently. Yeah, and he wanted to... And I guess they lied and said that Edamura is like a drug mastermind and was going to sell them something called Sakura Magic. And I thought that was really dumb and funny, but... <laughs> this is the one I'm, I'm very hazy on because I kept watching after our preview when whenever that was, months ago, and then stopped at the end of this case. Um, so I remember it being like, I think it had a certain charm in this case before we realized what the formula was, before the formula became clear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I I, th- I, th- I think that also it's – I'm the least clear on exactly how the case unfolds, mostly because it's like it's the introduction. You don't have a whole like, okay, you know who the team is now, at least vaguely. Here's who gets the spotlight. Here is what they're they're going to do. It also had to carry the load of like – this is who Edamora is. This is who Laurent is. Here's this tough girl called Abby and no one else. No one else is helping them. Uh, and then, you know, you have the twist at the end and everything like that. So it was it was kind of fun. This one, because you are like going into it without any previous knowledge and you weren't like sure how things are going to unfold. Um, and a lot of that is not present in the other cases because you know exactly who everyone is. <laughs> you know exactly what scams happening and like that is kind of fun but like by the third case i was kind of over it so this one i thought was a little more fun for me well that brings me to something i really appreciate about this case which i'm kind of frustrated they kind of completely dropped which i i, I really loved the um the rivalry between edamura and lauren and they're like compete the competition. They're basically they're they basically have like a bet to see who can make the most money. They are competing for who. I mean, I guess Nick described it as a dick measuring contest, but but you know sometimes dick measuring contests are fun. That's <laughs> by the way, that's the way I characterize it. That is apparently not the way that the 
overwhelming majority of the fandom for this series um, <laughs> interpreted it. Uh, I took a quick look over at Archive of Our Own. <laughs> yeah. Why would you do this? <laughs> There's some good stuff on there. Shut up. So <laughs> there are 195 works under Great Pretender Anime. Would you like to do an over-under on how many of those feature the relationship tag Edomura Makoto Laurent Thierry? 190. Yeah, I was going to say it's 190. <laughs> That's a little bit high. It is 158 out of 195. Oh, oh my God. So still, still most of them. More than three quarters feature that that relationship tag. What's the next most popular one? Is it Edomura and Abby? Yeah, which is three. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> no, wait, wait, wait. Um... I, I, I was looking at what excluded the Edamura Laurent uh, tag. If you ex- if so, if you just go down by how they're listed, it's uh, it's ten. Uh, oh my Makoto and Abby. So, Ugh. so from basically seventy five percent down to roughly ten percent. No, five percent. Sorry. <laughs> Yeah, so so I think it is maybe a little unfair to call it a decommissioning contest because I think it is there is some spicy, dramatic, romantic tension between the two of them. In and I, I don't know where we got those vibes in the first three episodes, but that fourth case definitely um, taints that reading of the show. I think in a lot of ways for me, there must be so yeah. many people who felt burned by that. <laughs> Again, I think we all just hate the fourth case. <laughs> All my homies hate the fourth case. Well, anyway, I think like we were talking about the the fact that like we get like this the first case is like this introduction to the world, and we don't really know the parameters of the heist or, or the the scam and stuff yet. And I think that what they've had in the in the other cases where we do know what the the scam is, I think they had to kind of like dumb down Edmar. I guess he's always not in on what's going on. And he's our audience yeah. surrogate to know what's happening. But like, I at least appreciate that in the first case, he he felt like he had more agency. Like he was actually like improvising on his own and like trying to one up Lauren and stuff. And later on, he's just kind of it feels like he's just going according to what he thinks the plan is. And then it's like surprise, that wasn't actually the plan. You're being duped. And it's like okay, I don't know. So I miss that the energy from the first case later on. Well, there are two reasons in the plot for that. Uh, one of them is that kind of one-upsmanship between Makoto and Laurent that's in the first one and then kind of just disappears uh, over the next two until it's brought up again uh, for the fourth one. Uh, But I think in order to keep the idea alive of Makoto wanting to get one over on Laurent, they have Laurent basically manipulate and control him and um, in a really mean way, honestly. Steal his dreams and stuff. <laughs> Commit inception on him multiple times. <laughs> like it works in terms of you having to need an audience surrogate, and like I can see how in terms of like delivering the plot to the audience, it is a convenient vehicle for him. But yeah, the fact that every time he's like, "I'm getting out. I'm finally living my life. I'm getting. I'm moving on with my life." Oh, I, I guess we should. That's a good transition to be on to case two because yeah, he. He gets out of the business and starts, he goes to prison, gets out of prison, and then works as a mechanic for months. And then, surprise, he has not been actually working as a mechanic. I guess he hasn't. It's it's all set up to get him involved in another, another scam. 
It's a very because they because Laurent even's like, did you really think you could learn how to engineer a plane in a few months? It's like you're being so mean. <laughs> and and the thing is, yeah. he did he did learn how. They just broke the plane. <laughs> They're like, yeah. Oh, did you tamper with the plane? He's like, yeah, I sure did. And I was like, so you're destroying this poor boy's confidence and dragging him into your crime life. I hate this man. Yeah, I know how much you wanted to go into the show to see to see the Frenchman uh, taken down. and then, Yeah, and now he's just <laughs> abusing people left and right. So stereotypical. <laughs> also, uh, spoilers for case four, he's he's Belgian, not French. So, you know, even more crushing our dreams. Yeah. But yeah, I thought this second case was the... It just felt, especially that like, we're talking about that early scene with um, the plane getting tampered with. And like, it was a funny line for them to be like, did you really think you'd become a masterclass engineer in a couple months? Like, that's absurd. But yeah, like the plotting doesn't make any sense because he was tampering with it. And I feel like there are a lot of scenes like that, especially in the first couple episodes before it was clear what was going on, where it was just like, things didn't make sense until they, I guess they revealed more of the parameters of the heists that I thought, okay, then this is starting to click together. But for those first two episodes of the case, it was like, what? No, that doesn't like a lot of the stuff with Abby. I just oh, like, oh. yeah, a lot of it was annoying. <laughs> I was, <laughs> I was kind of mad because like, I was like, yay, we get like a, like a woman of color in the show. And not only is she like used as like an abuse prop for most of it, like she's cool sometimes. But they're just like, let's exploit her trauma and paint a kind of stereotypical picture of a different country. And I was like, Ugh. yeah, like th- this arc is supposed to be her focus arc. Like each each case basically focuses on a different character, and the way in which they f- quote unquote focus on Abby is we get some flashbacks of her story, but she's entirely used in a couple different ways, most of which don't make sense. Like the way that. Laurent is trusting her to be the pilot while she is like vomiting from her trauma. And he just like, he seems so uninterested in her actual well being, which doesn't make sense because it's crucial to his plan and it just makes him more of an asshole. Like, I just found this so weird and so off putting. Well, he flat out says that she is going on these dangerous missions because she's basically hoping to die on one of them. But I guess the idea is that he just trusts in her actual ability and Abby won't deliberately try and kill herself. So he's like, no, she's great. So she'll be fine, even though she is going through all of this. But it is really weird because. So to go kind of backwards a little bit into some general stuff about the series, uh, there are two big things that are kind of flowing through the season, uh, which are in sort of direct contrast with each other. Uh, which are that the group are thieves who are like, there are there's no honor amongst thieves. If one of us goes down, we abandon you. If you can't keep up, we leave you behind. Abby tells Makoto that from the get-go, and she's and she she's like is basically trying to scare him into not coming along with them, but also she clearly doesn't like his hates his guts at first. And she's like, You aren't suited for this kind of thing. You should just get the hell out of here and go back to Japan. And he decides to stick around and go and keep going with with everything. And during that second mission, everyone's just like, oh, she's Abby. She'll be fine. And Edamora is the only one who's like, she's like throwing up in the cockpit. And she's clearly got some sort of PTSD. And I don't know the details, but she's going through something and I'm worried about her. And that's where Edamora's whole thing through the season is, which is 
in a way that is very bad for a general con man, but is good for a protagonist character. Uh, he cares too much. He get lets himself get really close to people and care about their problems. And he always wants to help them in some way. And in each of the cases, there is at least one character that he basically deliberately endangers the mission because he's worried about what's going to happen to this one character. Uh, in the first case, there is this bodyguard of, of Eddie Cassano who he realizes like, this guy's not a bad person. He just, you know, has to, he doesn't have a choice but to work for this guy in order to rate, in order to provide for his son. In the second case, there is this, this pilot that uh, got has, is connected to the flights that he wants to basically redeem because the guy is also in the same way as Abby looking to die because he can't fly anymore. Uh, in the third case, there's like the, the whole thing starts out cause he's trying to help out this couple that he's staying with. Uh, and not, not couple, sorry. It's a father and son and a father and daughter. Uh, and then in the fourth case, there's a bunch of kids. And, uh, well, uh, one of the reasons it's the worst case is because he <laughs> seems to forget about them along with everyone else. Uh, so, but that is Makoto's big thing is that he cares about these people in a way that all the other criminals kind of pretend that they don't when clearly mm-hmm. they do. And they're just pretending uh, that, that that they're only interested in getting the money because they're thieves and that's their only goal. So it makes sense thematically in the second case for Makoto to be the only one to be like, hey, Abby's in trouble and hey, I care about this one guy when everyone else is just like, okay, well, how do we rip these these billionaire princes off for all their money? And that's the, the only thing that they're focused on. But it does make them out to be like huge jerks who don't care about their own, um, which I guess is the point, but I don't like it anyway. <laughs> I mean, I think it's supposed to be, it's supposed to be this grand series wide fake out, right? That like they claim to not care about each other for the whole series. And at the end it's like, actually we did the whole time. And it's like, but you can't really claim that when there are arcs where you just don't care about each other's well-being. And, and to me, like even in that arc, in, even in case two, I just found it so frustrating because it's like, it's not just that it uh, like is bad for Lawrence's character to be so cavalier, or it's just it doesn't make sense. You need to trust your teammates, right? You need to know what kind of baggage they're dealing with to know if the heist or if the scam is going to go off well. So if you, like, it's one thing like they, they keep referencing later on, like if, if you screw up, we're going to abandon you. And that's, that's fine. But like you need to know their capabilities to know if they can pull it off. So like I just there were moments in the beginning of the second the moments in the beginning of the um the whole air race storyline where I was just like, this makes no sense that Laurent is so confident in the scheme when we're seeing uh Edimar's point of view and it like there's like Abby is not a capable pilot in that condition that she's in. And the fact that the show is also like not that interested in exploring or helping her in that condition is also another wholly different problem that is frustrating. It feels like they just kind of like present her issues and then never talk about them again. <laughs> well, yeah, they present them. They explain that she wants to kill herself, and um, she and Makoto jump off a building. But there's a parachute. Cool, she's okay. <laughs> never talk about it again. They had fun. They had fun jumping out of a building, and uh, now her trauma's cured. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's how it works, right? I don't want to say all negative things about Abby's storyline in in that series because 
she's the best character in this show. For sure. She's the best. And also her and and Edamora's relationship is the only one that I buy. I actually believe that the two of them are friends that don't admit that they're friends by the end, as opposed to everyone else. I don't know if they're not just jerks or if they actually do care about each other, but clearly, you know, like it, it is a, a fun, you know, consistent relationship that they have where Edinburgh clearly by his own word thinks that she's like cute, but it's not necessarily a very explicitly romantic relationship. And whenever they're actually directly interacting with each other at first, she's bullying him. And then by the end, they're kind of like respectfully flipping each other off to show that they care about each other. Yeah, I liked that. And it's nice. Uh, Yeah, Abby is by far my favorite character. Everyone else got on my last nerve. Uh, (laughs) But I feel like I wanted wanted more of Abby's story and less of the, I don't know, focus on the trauma, I guess. Like, I guess that's a big part of her story, but it just felt like we glazed over it and just said, she's got trauma, we're moving on. (laughs) It, It does feel like that's the entirety of, like, instead of having an arc... She has trauma. And yeah, they didn't. And they didn't really like move past it. They just said that's a thing, and then she was smiling. <laughs> like I get the power of friendship fixes all things, but well, you also have to be told to forgive yourself, though. That's that's the magic. Yeah. that's the magic key. Yeah, and she was, I guess, a child soldier. Yeah, and, and we never really dive into that or like how she like got where she is now. Besides, she was found. By this white man. <laughs> yeah. Abby, they could have given her so much more. One, one final thing I want to say about this case before we move on to case three is I hate that the rival pilot, rival plane pilots were Lewis and Clark. Nope. <laughs> two on the nose. Oh, I just noticed that. I'm uh, dumb. <laughs> I get, and maybe that's like a more obscure reference in Japanese. So it's more like a hidden gem, but in English it's like, mm, Clark is the uh, one who was actually the pilot, right? Yeah. Yeah. I liked him. He was he was dumb. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I did enjoy him. And I liked how when they're in the pool together, he he he's clearly trying to mack on Abby and she just keeps diving <laughs> underwater to swim away from him when he gets close. Yeah. And he's just like chasing after her. She's not saying a dang thing. She's just swimming away. <laughs> So I, I want to bring this up. I don't want to slam this unnamed podcast too much, but I tried finding other podcasts talking about Grip Tender just to see like how people felt about the second arc and stuff. And I found this one podcast that I won't name, but they it was like one of the hosts apparently had never heard the term himbo and learned the term from people talking about this show and referring to Lauren. And I'm like, Lauren is... He's not most, a himbo. He's, he's the most opposite of a himbo possible. Oh my god! <laughs> oh my god! Clark's a himbo. Like right, Clark. Yeah, Cl- Clark is the closest thing to show as a himbo. He's he's maybe maybe not buff enough to be a himbo, but like he is. He's dumb and sweet. So he has two out of three yeah. qualifications. Clark is much more himbo energy than Laurent. Laurent is not dumb. He's like the criminal mastermind of everything. He's he's basically the all according to Keikaku of the entire show. And whenever something doesn't seem to be going to his plan, don't worry. He's got 20 people on his <laughs> payroll that just show up at the last minute to fix everything. Even when things don't go according to his plan, that's also part of his plan. Yes! <laughs> okay, we'll wait for it, wait for it. <laughs> it's so irritating. <laughs> uh, you know what? Actually, I liked Cynthia. I didn't mind her. 
Cynthia is, is I think, the second best character in the show. It's it's a pretty distant second for me, but she doesn't do anything infuriating, at least. So, Yeah, I always thought her character was very funny, and I don't love the, like, trope of, like, wow, you're so old, like, every five seconds to this <laughs> woman. But, like, <laughs> she was still funny. Well, okay, do, do we have anything more to talk about the second case, or should we move on to Cynthia's? focus arc i liked the way that i mean it was kind of presented in a very straightforward manner because they didn't have some means uh in the second mission of like oh we're gonna we're gonna fool you it was just a matter of like no we're going to get you to bet on something that you think is a sure thing because you literally rig the race every year and you don't think we've got a pilot capable of beating your guy on our payroll. And then we're just going to actually do that because we happen to have a pilot that is willing to be the guy to take on your guy. And they just do it. And then it's a matter of getting away with the money. And they have all the cool flight scenes and stuff like that. And I love the way that it goes through the city and stuff. It's very, it's a very fun mission to go that they go on. Yeah, I feel like it, it definitely felt fun. I, is this a- this did not feel like it was plausible, like flying those planes through these iconic locations and like very expensive architecture and stuff. I was like, Oh my God, this sounds like terrifying. This can't be real. I hope this doesn't happen in real life. I feel like it does. So yeah. Also I did appreciate the animation in that one because there are some like 3d scenes when they're like flying around that looked a lot better than I thought they would after seeing the crowd shots with the CG. (laughs) And they saw the crowd shots. I was like, oh no. And then they're doing the plane things. I'm like, oh, thank God. <laughs> well, I think I also, I don't know, compared to Eddie Casano, the like, who, who clearly seemed like a fully evil guy, I feel like they didn't do a great job setting up Sam and Clark as being like extremely villainous. No, yeah. they were just mildly bad. But also, I don't like, I don't know what their decision is for picking targets. Yeah. Like, it just feels very random. They seem to need to have someone in particular that has been victimized. But that's only the case for the second and second and third cases, I guess. Because there was no, like, actual, this was the victim in the first case. And the fourth one, it's, you know, well, we'll get to that, but yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. But also, I still, I said it in the first uh, time we talked about this show, and I'll say it now. I love how colorful the backgrounds are. Oh yeah, how unreasonably like colorful the sky is and the water is, especially in the plane one when they were flying around. That was, I think, my favorite visually of all the um, cases. Yeah, I, I think throughout the visuals continued to wow me. I guess I, I don't know what I was expecting, but I kind of was a little surprised that it like kept up throughout. Like it like, all the background, like all the cityscapes all the scenes and locations around the world we got all looked spectacular so okay so moving on to case three snow of london cynthia moore's focus arc i as much as we complained about abby's storyline feeling like it was kind of one note and didn't really she didn't really have an arc so much as she had a trauma they showed i feel like cynthia's backstory here has a little bit of that too like i think there was more of a story to her back to her, to her her um flashbacks but i don't know like and i really was moved by those flashbacks with her her ex the painter guy but then it just ended and it was like she was like wow that was a great to remember we've patched things up and we've talked and went to a cafe end of the story and it's like 
Okay, so I'm kind of like, so I guess both of the arcs that focused on the female characters didn't actually move them in any way. They just showed off their background and then that was it. But I think the heists, this is one of my favorite heists, or not heists, the scam was one of my favorite scams in terms of like being low stakes in terms of like danger, but still feeling like uh, high stakes in terms of money and feeling like the fun energy of the show. Yeah, I I did hate this guy a lot. That so that was good. <laughs> they really made me hate the art collector man. James Coleman. The style of his face, like he has like frog mouth or something. He reminds yeah, me of like a bird. Like yeah, a fat bird. Yeah. Also, the show hates women because that poor art collecting woman who he was just like, Yeah, I'm just like sleeping with her so she'll buy expensive paintings for me. So like she'll be alone and sad forever. And then like in the end it's just like, Well, I have my butler. And it's like <laughs> this sucks. This woman didn't get shit. You shut up. He's her friend and they love each other deeply. <laughs> I guess he's like, I'm not talking as Tim your butler. I'm talking as Tim a person. I'm like, okay, wait, if she didn't see you as a person, buddy. We're going to have to back this up. No, they're friends. <laughs> is Tim the butler the real himbo? Oh my god, shut He's up. He's clearly smarter than a lot of characters in this show, so no. That's true. I hated, I hated that man, be- or the James Coleman man, because... The 007 of the art collecting world? Yeah, because one, he was <laughs> no a sense shitty asshole. No sense named James. <laughs> I do love how, like, in an interview, he's like, people just call me that because my name is James, and I'm like... Yeah, you're okay. right. <laughs> you're right. It's like oh. I hate this guy. Also, uh, what was his name? The dude that dated Cynthia. Uh, Thomas. Thomas, I hated that guy. Wow, I hated him so much because he like gets some money and he's like, "Wow, this wine doesn't taste right. Let me get the most expensive <sighs> one." I was like, "I'm gonna choke you." <laughs> I'm going to take that expensive steak and shove it in your throat and hope you die. That did feel like like I was moved by their storyline. And then as soon as the fact that he like completely flipped his character as soon as he got money felt like it was a broke character and was milking the like, I don't know, the fall from grace in a way that just felt so unrealistic or not didn't fit with his previous characterization at all. Yeah, and then he had the audacity to like be like, Cynthia, you changed. You're a con woman. She's like, excuse the fuck out of me. <laughs> like, look at you. I thought that it worked really well because as blunt as it was, they did set up that like he had all of this artistic integrity and these big dreams and stuff like that. But he oh, yeah. felt like the big thing holding him back was that he didn't have any money and he clearly resented it. And so suddenly when he had all of it plopped in his lap, but he was told basically to abandon his artistic values, then he chose one over the other and he chose wrong. And Cynthia hated that because she was made it very clear to him, like, I would be totally fine with just living with you for the rest of time if we had to eat beans from a can every single goddamn day. And uh, he wasn't satisfied with that. And so he lost her because of that. I mean, it was very blunt and straightforward, but I really felt for her that, you know, and that this guy had come along and, you know, ruined what she thought was the love of her life. And by the end, I was like, yeah, you ruined that bird looking asshole. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I guess I just feel like the the bluntness just like, (sighs) 
yeah, it was like taken to a cartoonish extreme. Like I feel, and it was just there so that we could like elide over, like they had this grand love story. They were so in love. So they could just elide over how, I guess she just left him without really much explanation. Cause they just make him into such an asshole. That you don't think about it or don't question it. Like, of course you left him. Cause uh, I don't know. I just feel like the way the money would transform someone of his, like, I just don't think you go from being someone who is so happy to, or that is like living off of eating beans and cans to that like rich snobby asshole, like overnight, <laughs> especially unless, unless that's you're really into it for the money. And he clearly wasn't. And maybe I was just trying to compensate for his guilt. But uh, yeah, I, I appreciate that he eventually, like when we find out why he's in so much debt and it's because he bought back all his paintings because he he saw, like especially seeing him see kids be inspired by his, his forgeries and just be torn up by the fact that he is like perpetuating this lie onto future generations. I appreciate his moral well- character there. I don't. I don't know if I'm just a, a moralist monster, but I was like, it's the same painting. It looks the same. Who cares if it's not painted by one dude like 30 years ago? Yeah, I mean, logically, I totally agree with you. Logically, like, it should make no difference. Like, but I, uh, on an emotional level, I, I appreciate how he was like, the thing that turned him was seeing kids and seeing like the future generation, seeing himself in those kids and being like, the idea of passing on a lie to them felt wrong. There's also very like a very poetic twist on what happens. You know, that's that kind of tragic, like Greek tragic kind of things. Like you made this choice. Now you have to live with it. I just hate him. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I, I I was a little confused when that arc started. And I guess we, we see James Coleman, like on on vacation in in Nice, France. First of all, shout out to Nice. I, it's a a cool city. It's uh, the only 69 city in in France, because it's spelled, it's spelled, mm-hmm. anyway. Keep going. Yeah. <laughs> My sibling did a summer abroad in Nice, so I visited it, and I was too young to care or appreciate going on trips to Europe, so I kind of wish I visited now as an adult and could appreciate it. But anyway, when he's first introduced, and then we flash back to Cynthia's backstory with this love interest, and I was like, and she was talking about how she recognized James Coleman, I was like, did her love interest grow up to be James Goldman, like his face looks totally different and that'll be absurd. And then I was like, okay, no, like this is not that long ago. And thank God. Yeah. That, that would, that would have been a very weird twist. I think that I briefly wondered about that too, like at the very beginning, but then he showed up in the flashback and I realized, okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> one, one thing I found pretty absurd about this scam was the necessity for making a forgery and from my like narrative standpoint, you need to have them make a forgery so they can reintroduce him to, to make the forgery. But like in terms of scamming James Coleman out of his money, they did not need an extra copy. They only wanted the extra copy so they could give the real copy to this, this sweet family in Nice. You shut up, Jeff. It was a very nice <laughs> gesture, <laughs> but like they were okay selling the painting. So like, uh, I don't know. It didn't really make any sense to me that you have to elaborately complicate the, the heist. I keep calling it a heist, but these aren't heists. It's one of the few nice things this group decided to do. Don't question it. <laughs> that's, that's true. Also, I love that whenever something like technical comes up, they're just like, we'll just make Edamora learn how to do it. That's their plan. <laughs> we need someone to sabotage an engine. Oh, you'll learn to do it. We need someone to make a drug. Oh, Edamora will learn how to do it. We need someone to paint. Edamora will learn how to do it. <laughs> Every single time. I do like how... They they train him or like they make him seem like he's gonna they make it seem like he 
is going to be doing it. And they're like, you of course couldn't do that. Like you, you child, we're going to have this backup plan or whatever. And Annie, is this, is this the part where you cried? Where? Was it in this case or was it in case four? Case four. Oh, there was some emotional stuff in case four. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't care about these characters at all, honestly <laughs> and truly in three. I guess I should have guessed since you hated the, the fiance, but I thought the, uh, the montages with their relationship were very sweet. I thought it was sweet, but I didn't, didn't emotionally care. <laughs> I was not super into the Cynthia relationship, but um, I liked certain aspects of it. I liked how, you know, you really felt her loss when it did happen. That Like, oh, she had this life that she was really looking forward to. And she would probably not have turned into basically a, a, a man eater. Uh, if this hadn't happened because she would have been content to not score millions and millions at a time by seducing people. Um, and I really like the way that it ends with them just kind of like not getting back together. And Edamora is kind of having that naive outlook of like, Oh, you can apologize and maybe you can, you know, find each other again and, and you're destined for each other. And they just, no, they kind of just have a conversation and then they're like, all right, goodbye to you and they just don't you know she just doesn't resent him anymore and that's kind of the, re- the resolution she got out of it it's very very adult kind of thing yeah it did feel very realistic in terms of like e- even as charming and nostalgic as those scenes are and like even if you're reminded of all that stuff like it still doesn't change that they have grown to be very different people and you can't necessarily rekindle that like you can't just insert themselves back into the people they were however many years ago yeah, it's broken. It can't be put back together exactly the way it was. It did feel a little bit weird to me, just from the sense of like, neither of them had other romantic interests, though. So it was like... Well, he was too busy feeling sorry for himself and wallowing in self-pity. And then she was too busy living an exciting scam life. So pretty like, much. she's thriving. Yeah. yeah, he was married to self-pity. You're right. Yeah, it was... <laughs> See, I hate this dude. He was so boring. Oh, you get my God. it. You love art he so drew, much that you. He drew a ring for her. It was a cute gesture. It was sweet, but then he decided to be bad for years. <laughs> Can you imagine if, like, she hands the drawing back to him and it's just got a little frowny, mean face in the middle of the oh ring? Oh, my God. The way she breaks off the engagement. But I also. With with the whole like making the forgery so that they could give the real painting to the the nice family and niece and Makoto decides to just flip them. Uh, you I don't just so we had some agency. I don't and and then they're like we're supposed to be happy with the fact that the family has the fake painting because they're like oh we don't see the difference. But doesn't that kind of directly contradict the whole the ethos that the um the forgery painter guy had? I guess they're different people and they have different values, but. I just don't understand why Makoto even flipped them just to give the bad guy they were that they thought was evil to like I guess feel sorry for him a little bit. I I don't I don't understand the point. I think he felt bad that he had come up with this scheme to begin with and then and and then uh, unintentionally ended up actually taking from them way more than yeah you know, or I guess taking away the potential for them to have made a lot more money than they need than they uh ended up with. So he was like, eh, I'll just give it back to them, you know, to kind of make up for what I did. Mm. It's a very immature gesture, I admit, but I think it made sense in character for him. Mm. See, he's annoying. I don't like him either. <laughs> well, I'm not. I'm going to save all my Edamora hate for for when we get to. Okay, part can four, we go so. to case four? Well, hold on, part three hold was on, boring. hold on. This is going to be a trudge. So before we get to that, I want to talk a little bit 
about my favorite sequence in this entire show, which is Edamora and, and Abby's not date that they go on. It's very cute, and they just go around and they eat at places, and they are kind of nice to each other for once. And I really, really liked it. And that's why they're number two on Archive. Yes, I don't care that it. I don't care about the romance of it or not. I just thought that it was really sweet that they just went around and they just ate at places, and she like kind of had a good time without you know having to try and kill herself. <laughs> yeah. Again, they completely drop that storyline from later on. <laughs> One thing I started to appreciate in this in this case was the. Like once we at this point we know the formula and everything, and seeing this cast of characters basically like playing a different role each arc, and the like the planning of like oh well this person's seen me in this role so I can't be a part of the scheme or like I have I, they didn't see me so I can be this role and stuff. It reminded me of like in a theater production where like the the cast switches roles midway or something. Or like mm-hmm. just seeing like a theater troupe play different, like all these all the same faces playing different roles, and it was kind of a cute way to like to just see. But it also does kind of play into like how I feel about a lot of these characters. By the end of it, I feel like they kind of were just actors more than they were full on characters. Well, Jeff, this is a great chance for me <laughs> to jump off into talking about a show that is basically like this one, but is much better but that I can't recommend for reasons I'll get into after I talk about all the good stuff in it called leverage, which as I mentioned before, was a TNT show about a set of thieves that basically did Robin hood stuff. And they do like explicitly in the show are like a group of five different types of thieves. One is like a hacker. One is a traditional kind of cat burglar type. Uh, so they all have their own specialties and stuff like that. So you get some variety in what they, you know, what skill sets they bring to the table so that, you know, you actually feel like the characters are different from each other. Um, and they, you know, deliberately seek out people who have been wronged by uh, Western society and capitalism in general, you know, rich people. Uh, and they win stuff back for them. They, you know, rip off people who have ripped off poor people in order to make their uh, fortunes and stuff like that. And they do a different uh, uh, heist basically, or a different grift every single episode. And it's a lot of fun and I would strongly recommend it. And I would have saved bringing it up until the end of the show to mention it as my non anime recommendation, except the guy who plays the main character in the show uh, was accused of being a massive sex creep earlier this year. So I can't do that. (laughs) But they're remaking, they're making they're remaking the show without him uh, and with the entire rest of the cast, who are all the best parts of the cast anyway. So, <laughs> so maybe maybe when that uh, remake comes out, then I'll just say like, yeah, watch that instead. <laughs> but uh, an advantage that that show has over this is that they do bring up like, oh, we're all playing different you know roles in this kind of show that we're putting on. But it's not just all we're confidence men. We put on a show in order to, you know, make someone make a decision like this. They are also doing additional things besides that uh, that are just kind of treated as like the background work uh, in this show, which makes a lot of the characters honestly feel very samey to me. Uh, They all are just like, oh, well, you are going to be the person who plays this role. You are going to be the person who plays this role, whereas everyone kind of learns how to uh, grift uh, in some way uh, on leverage. But, hey, we need someone to be over here to, you know, beat up some of the bodyguards. So that's what we have Elliot for. We have to 
you know, hack into the cameras or the security feed. That's what we have Hardison for. We need someone to descend down this bit building and that's what we have Parker for. And Abby is kind of just like a bunch of those extra things for like the physical stuff. And you don't really get into like a lot of the whole, well, there are security measures in place and stuff like that, that we have to move around. It's just like, no, just Laurent throws money at the problem. And eventually they get kind of move past it. And I, I think that that's one of the weaknesses of the series is that the characters honestly don't feel distinct enough from each other. It's just kind of like some of them have different personalities, but they all kind of do the same things. Yeah, like the fact that we follow up Abby's focus and arc from case two with like, uh, she was working in the in the art shop in the beginning of case three. So then she just like follows James Coleman around and like becomes an assistant, but like shows none of her personality through that. So it's like, it doesn't matter who is in that role. It could be any of them. Much as I like Abby, if they had had Abby around and she, you know, did occasionally play a character, but she would also be like, yeah, Abby's here. She'll kick the guys in the face when they start causing trouble. Then I would have liked her even more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That would have been like the stuff that we appreciate about Abby factoring into the plot more than just, I guess, I guess the, the extent that she was used strategically. I feel bad saying used, but like, you know, they're making a plan. She was used. <laughs> right. But yeah, she, she was used basically as like, she looks hot and she's going to sit on his lap. So like, that's what she's good for. And it's like, great. I hated that every single case that she was like sexually like objectified or abused. But yeah, Annie, would would you reject her sitting on your lap, Annie? I would never put her in that position to begin with. <laughs> what if she asked to be on your lap? She um, wouldn't. <laughs> this yeah, is a trick wouldn't. question. <laughs> Abby would kick anyone's ass. She would not sit on someone's lap. If she, she wouldn't ask. It's the thing. Okay, I'm sure in at least one of the archive of your own fanfics, she sits on Edamara's lap. Okay, so um, to the point that you're actually trying to make about this, Annie, I, I think even if you, even if you are willing to accept the you know sexualization of the character, and I pronounce that very strangely, sorry, um, <laughs> which I kind of in the context of the show for most of those was just kind of like, all right, she's playing her role. There were. There was one that made me really uncomfortable and we hadn't and we haven't reached it yet. Uh, and I think you were supposed to feel uncomfortable at least. But the fact that she is used in that way of, oh, she's a hot girl, so she's distracting because she is a hot girl. Uh, that takes away from Cynthia's role in the group, yeah. which is she's she's the guy who seduces. She's the girl rather who seduces guys. No, but she's old. <laughs> yeah, there's that. There's that. And that's bad but it's also that okay well what is cynthia really doing it's more that she is kind of she just in a couple of cases is the one that is kind of the more convincing actor but in that case she really does play up hey look at my boobs a whole lot so yeah it just i did feel like this show hated women and I will get more into that when we talk about the next part. All right. <laughs> this The frustration with the sexualization in the show reminds me of, I mean, I don't think it's quite applicable to this show. It's not something I thought while watching, but just like in this discussion, it reminds me of how in James Bond, like the fact that he is straight is like, should be a detriment. Like being at least heteroflexible would be a, a benefit to any spy, you know, like, being only able to seduce one sex is a limitation. And <laughs> Imagine if there's a James Bond movie 
And 007, you will be going undercover on this in this nation that is entirely composed of men. Oh no, what am I going to do now? Uh, yeah, I feel like in this show, yeah, that 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 never really we didn't we didn't get the same kind of like I don't know. James Bond has his own issues with like usually the, yeah. the women that he's seducing are like wives of important people. I feel. I don't know. I've never seen James Bond because I'm too young and pretty for that. Um, <laughs> I have not seen that many of the movies, so I can't. I can't fault you for that. Can't waste my time. Uh, I'll watch anime instead. Uh, but okay, can we talk about Case Four? Yes, we all I have think many thoughts. Put it off long enough. Yeah, let, let, let's t- let's get in a let's get in a plane. Let's fly to the Far East. But surprise, actually, we drugged Annie beforehand. Oh, my and- God. That was so wild. They just – okay. So first off and foremost, they uh, fridge-doored Dorothy. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. She had no purpose other than furthering Laurent's story, and that was super irritating. She was like his manic, yeah. pi- like manic pixie dream girl or whatever, and I hated it. I thought she was yeah. the most boring female character in the show. For sure. Okay. And I that think- includes, um, well, okay, maybe maybe um, James Coleman, maybe his his squeeze uh, is is more boring. Oh than yeah, her. that that poor lady whose best friend is Tim, her butler. <laughs> but Dorothy was supposed to be like this incredibly charismatic, magnetic, uh, wild person, and yeah, she's just got manic pixie dream girl vibes all over the place. She has a design that kept making me go, this feels kind of racist. Yeah. And mm-hmm. yeah. then she gets fridged, except no, she d- isn't, <laughs> which is even yeah. more infuriating. It's well, she, like- she, she got fridged and then thawed out a little bit. <laughs> It was so dumb. And also, like, it falls into the trap of um, whenever you have, like, a darker-skinned character, especially women in anime, they make it with light hair, light eyes, like, exotic, like, make them super exotic. And it's just like, ugh, can you just, like, not do that one time, please? Well, okay. They they do avoid it one time with Abby. Well, Abby's not black. No, but she's darker-skinned. Yeah, but, like... Also, Abby, they didn't do justice in the story either, but... Well, okay. I, the other frustration I have... First of all, like, I, I disagree, at least in terms of... I thought she had fun character, and I think... Yeah, what the, else was she, other than well, fun? The dub did a lot to... Um, like, I thought the way that she read her lines had was full of energy in a way that I thought really matched the animation, but... Jeff, what I, else is there? If she's just fun and energetic, that's her whole, yeah. that's her whole character. There's no depth to her. But I feel like that fits. And as much as I, I recognize how frustrating it is that she exists entirely to be fridged, I feel like it is at least a a bit of a twist on my expectations to see that that is the person who trained Laurent. You think that like she gave him his playful nature when he kind of took over the crew? Yeah, but also like even just the passing on like the the scamming wisdom that it um like the fact that she, i guess she wasn't the mastermind though like oz was the mastermind that he kind of yeah Lamarne kind of becomes. so, so it's man. not like yeah so it's, it's still like <laughs> a man's thing and so i guess that that's frustrating but I, I appreciate that like at least on some level it's not entirely a man's world that that a woman can be there and she can die <laughs> 
but but also like we're comparing in comparing yeah, oh my God. in comparing Dorothy to Abby, it does seem really frustrating. It's like, okay, did he recruit Abby just so that she could play that same exact role that Dorothy played? Okay, in- you're making this even <laughs> grosser than I read it into. Oh my yeah. <laughs> Lauren just going around like, oh, yes, this is great having the whole gang here. Wait a minute. I need a dark-skinned young girl to be pretty while we're running schemes, too. Well, no, because like in in the flashback, Dorothy pretends to be an Ethiopian princess to get sold off. And Abby, they have her play off being in Saudi Arabian princess. So it's like... Yeah, it's so I, bad. They did such a bad job. This whole thing was so frustrating. And uh, it it was it was interesting seeing the layers of frustration come out. Because <laughs> when it started off, I was like, okay, are people just mad because child trafficking is involved in the story? Clearly, they're the bad guys, and they're setting them up to be like the mark that they're trying to take down, and they're vilifying them by portraying them. But then. Edamora kept working with them more. Mm-hmm. The point where Edamora uh, basically like plays out the like the repeat of Lawrence trauma on the boat, where he Edamora basically thinks that he's shot and murdered his father, and then like falls into a depression, but then keeps working for the child traffickers, even after like all of his explicit ties to them. You know, like in the flashback. Uh, uh, Laurent leaves after he finds out the door if he, Dorothy's dead or whatever. But Edamora, after he thinks he's killed his father, just stays with the child traffickers and is, I guess, okay with that. Doesn't care about saving the kids anymore. And so here's, the uh, thing. here's the thing. I can read this sequence of events in a way that narratively makes sense and does not make Edamora out to be the worst person in the world. However, the fact that I have to go to the effort to do this before I even get started. Actually, you know, I'll I'll go ahead and explain uh, and then (laughs) and then say why that doesn't forgive this. Uh, I can buy that the idea is that Edamora somehow, I guess, suspects that something is off and he's just continuing to play his role because he has faith in his fellow con men that they're still Mm -hmm. working on this. And so. He's just been so used to being duped that he knows something is up because he's duped into this case, too. This is three cases in a row where he he gets duped into taking his part in it. Uh, and so he finds out that he's working for these sex, these sex traffickers and he doesn't quit immediately. He doesn't go to the police immediately. He keeps on, you know, just going about his business for presumably at least days after he finds out about it before he realizes that. Basically, Laurent used subliminal messaging to convince him to apply for a job at this company uh, where they're doing this so that he would be in a position for the heist, which he did not agree to be a part of until he was already knee deep in it. But his nature as a good and concerned person means that he wants to save these kids now that he knows about them and has personally seen them. Uh, But then, yeah, they go through the whole thing where it seems like the whole heist has gone up and that uh, his father, his long lost dad... Uh, has shown up as the translator for the the Shanghai sect of this group. And so Makoto goes to him and is like, hey, help me get these kids out. I believe that there is still good in you, basically, after he's he's convinced of this, after he confronts his father, he still sees his father still wearing his wedding ring after 
He thought that he had abandoned his mother for years and years and just forgotten about both of them. And he never thought about them ever again. But oh, no, he really did care. And so they try and get the kids out and they're going to get the kids to safety. And Oz actually betrayed them. And they're going. And so they get taken out in a boat and they're all going to get shot. But the woman in charge of the criminal organization is taking a liking to Makoto. And so she like encourages him. And so he shoots his dad and they, 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 he falls off the boat and it looks like Abby and Cynthia are dead. And he just keeps on sticking around for literally months working for this woman and getting more and more evil because he starts smoking and you know that that makes him evil. But then at the end of all of this, his dad shows up again at, at uh, Edamora's apartment and basically tells him the whole Dorothy story and why they're doing this whole scheme, which is basically to get revenge on the people who killed Dorothy. Uh, and Edamora is like not horribly shocked to see his dad yeah, back from the dead. Yeah. So I think the idea is that he knew something was up. And so he was just waiting and kept on building up the trust with the chairwoman because he thought that something was up and his role wasn't done yet. But here's the thing about a high series. It's all in the reveal. It's all in how satisfying everything is when you've got it all re-explained to you and you see, oh, this is what was really going on. When I saw this, this is what I was actually happening. And I just was only allowed to see what you allowed me to see. And at no point in the entire thing do they say, oh, Edamora knew something was up. Or there's no piece of dialogue where, you know, Laurent or Oz or whatever says, this is why you had to be in this position because we knew that you were, you know, desire to do the right thing would make you keep on working at this even when it seemed like all was lost they never confirm that it was something that he did for the right reasons because they're too busy saying that maybe he's done things for the wrong reasons because they're like maybe he's going to betray us and they leave that until the very end and so yeah it really does seem as though if you just kind of accept things as written that Edamora is just bad person who won't do the right thing unless there is someone else around to make him feel like he has the capacity to do it. Well, it seems like they spend so much time having like developing his relationship with Akemi uh, Suzaku, the the leader of the Japanese side of this organization. And like, I get that. Like, I think what you're, you're saying is that like, because he does eventually turn on her, like that could, that could all be part of the thing. And like that, that really was not who he was sympathizing with the whole time. But the fact that they devote so much screen time to that, and then never directly contradict it and actually kind of do the opposite because they like humanize her even more by like sending the video to her son. Yeah. And I I guess uh why did why did her screaming out Makoto's name resonate with the son? I didn't get that. I don't know. The son also <laughs> named Makoto? I don't know. I think he just saw his mom and was like, why is she with all these people getting shot up? Oh, uh, okay. I th- I will say I was confused by that exact detail too. That why yeah, did I they clip that exact moment? But, but. I, I was wondering if there was a line that said that her son's name was also Makoto, and that's why she was attracted or like found him to be an interesting. Let's <laughs> no, not uh, go any further down that. <laughs> no, okay, not attracted. Like that's why she wanted to like pseudo adopt him, yeah. and like that would have been a, an interesting reveal because then it's like then he was the perfect person for that role because then her screaming out Makoto would I guess trick her son into but anyway like just like all this time devoted to like humanizing her and not the kids that are being child trafficked like <sighs> and yeah like the fact yeah, that they don't recontextualize bad. any of that afterwards to like 
that you could you could devote some time in the final episode to like showing Edimer's true feelings towards her, or like saying that she's actually a monster and like making sure the kids are okay. We get like a brief glimpse into one of the kids mm-hmm. I implied to be adopted by Cynthia, yes. but that's kind of it. And uh, that doesn't seem like enough at all. No. Well, it's clear from the context of how things play out that Laurent's plan and more, well, Oz's plan, I guess, was to do a long scheme so that they had someone as close to Suzuku uh, as Laurent already was to, oh gosh, what was his name? Um, I don't know how to pronounce it, but the, the Shang, the Shanghai, Lu, 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 yeah. Uh, someone get someone in her ranks that she trusted as much as Lu trusted uh, Laurent, and so that they could pull the the bilingual scheme, and that they would just trust un without any you know question everything that they were saying about the conversation. Quick side note, like the fact, especially that Lu talks about how important translators are. And both organizations just like completely trust these relatively new people with that important task. Mm, okay. Very, also, very handy. Also weird that they don't conduct business in English because that's kind of the thing that a lot of <laughs> different nations do when they don't speak the same language is that they just go over to English. Anyway. Yes. For, especially for those countries, like I don't think English would be that weird of a thing for them to learn while doing while conducting international business. Lou demonstrates that he's been learning English. So, yeah. <laughs> so just like, please, someone switch over. Um, so I they pretty much demonstrate that Oz's plan is to do everything leading up to that point to get Makoto in Suzuku's good graces. So presumably the entire thing that they did was, okay, we're going to do this as if we're going to have Abby pose as this princess. And then when it's time to extract her, Makoto is going to try and do the right thing. He's going to try and save these kids. And so when that happens, Oz will betray everyone because he knows that she'll choose him over Oz, I guess. And that's how they get him really, really into her good graces is by having him betray her once, but continue for her to trust him. It's not great. So (laughs) no, there was a bunch of holes through all of this logic. And then later he, but it's clear that he betrays her again and she still is calling out to him. And it's like, what is her problem? Well, because he seemed to then turn against them because it seemed like, oh, uh, he was going to betray her. But then it was actually he was going to turn over all of the people on his side. So, OK, yeah. so <laughs> I really want to get to this final reveal because I hate it so much. Go for it. So the final part of this plan is basically there has been this long schism between the uh the yakuza and their shanghai split off faction they were they used to be just like a subdivision of of this yakuza uh sect but then because they were doing really well for themselves in shanghai they just split themselves off completely and are like we're just going to run our own thing and that's never been resolved so their way of getting revenge on them uh of the con getting the revenge on the shanghai group that they failed to rip off 10, 5, 10, I don't know how many years ago, probably around 10, uh, is to 
get basically them to have this weird thing where they're going to meet up and pretend that they're going to actually sell themselves out to the other and give themselves a hefty loss for the sake of the two leaders trying to kill each other. Um, which, <laughs> all right. So they do that. And then at the meeting, there's a bunch of reveals that happen and there's a bunch of fake outs that happen where it looks like they've gotten fooled and literally they come in, they come storming in as fake, a fake SWAT team. And literally all the criminals are like, this seems, this seems off. It doesn't seem like this is real <laughs> as it's happening. And Suzuku's only concern is Makoto, what is happening here? Who, who, what, who, what do you know about this? Because I can look over there and those are t- clearly the two women we killed before. <laughs> They're alive now. And so when they look to him, he's like, oh, this is all a setup on my part. And so Eddie Cassano comes in with some guys with guns and they're like, and our guns are real. And everyone's like, oh, no. And Makoto starts ranting and raving at, at Laurent about like, you guys are idiots. You keep saying that there's no honor amongst these, but clearly you did all of this because you really, really cared about Dorothy. So what the hell's up with that? Clearly you really liked her and you like all these other people. And anyway, oh, I can't keep up this act for any longer. I've kept up this act for months, but I can't hold a straight face in front of Laurent because I'm so excited about the how I finally fooled you, even though both Oz and Laurent are like, okay, clearly this is fake and you're just kind of like not, you're just vamping now and you you haven't actually fooled us. We were kind of just surprised when Eddie Cassano showed up for about five seconds. All right, let's move on. And then they start having a shootout and they've all got fake guns. So all of the Shanghai people and all the Yakuza people leave the room and then they ride the entire room down in an elevator because it yeah. turns out <laughs> that the entire meeting, when both groups were coming out to it, Edamora and Laurent drugged them all and flew them out to this private uh, desert island and they built a fake skyscraper with an entire room as an elevator and they just ride it down to get away and then they just leave with all the money and leave everyone there. And they're like, yeah, our one rule is we don't kill anyone, but we will leave you to starve to death solely on this, on this desert Island. Anyway, oh my God, it was so dumb. And so the entire reason that they did all this was basically so, just so that they could see everyone's faces when they realized they'd been had. That's basically the only reason they did it because yep. the Shanghai group had all the cash with them on the plane that Laurent was with when he drugged them. The check was written out when Makoto drugged Suzuku. So they didn't need to do this whole skyscraper scheme. And so at the end, when they're like, oh, man, we made out like bandits. This is our best plan ever. And then Laurent's like, well, actually, when you consider all the costs we sunk into this, we we barely broke even. Why did you make a fake skyscraper? You didn't need to do this. You could have just drugged them, flown them out to this island, left them there, and then just left with all the money. But no, you were like, oh, but I want to see their face when they get, when they realize that they've been had. It's a good thing that Lou didn't at any point question why I. Laurent had left him for years and years and years only just now returned before this big thing Mm -hmm. where no one else is around to translate for him it's really lucky that he trusted me to do this it was so and it was also just like um like what was his name the movie guy who showed up eddie Eddie, yeah eddie him that didn't make any sense at all him and sam and whatever that other guy's name is coleman all just like yeah we're here just like hi 
we're on a boat with you and we're partying. It's like, no, they literally sent you, like they took all your money and scammed you. It would not, you would not be on a boat partying with them. I'm so glad you brought that up because even if you put aside the resentment that all of them should feel towards the Ront for ruining their lives in different degrees, Coleman shouldn't have any money anymore. How is he there at all? Well, I assume they paid him, or like I, I thought Makoto paid him. But see, I, I thought the reveal of Eddie Casano worked perfectly fine, and even when they mentioned that the other two or another two worked perfectly fine in the episode when you think you're supposed to think Edamora has broken bad. Yeah, and it's like this makes perfect sense. Like, and I thought it was actually thematically resonant that like this this young optimistic child who has been like manipulated over and over again is finally going to crack like yes do it you should crack you should finally get your revenge and like i think there is an interesting message there that like people who keep using this long chain of people using and abusing each other does not lead to a happy place in the end that like someone down the chain is is getting hurt by it even if they seem to be having fun in the moment whatever and it's like no just just joking (laughs) haha and okay so maybe you weren't going for those themes that I was excited about, but you then you directly contradict like Eddie, <sighs> like I, I, it made total sense for those people to be there happy to get revenge on Laura, but then when they're just there and they're okay to be chilling with Laura, it's like, no, this is such a caricature that like, I can see why it feels like a good note to end the season on, to en- end the show on like, oh, wow, we got the band back together. Like it, it's this like, all come full circle moment but it's with the wrong people like if you want if you want to like really be empathizing with the victims then get the people who that they were saving like the um lewis from the singapore sky arc the bodyguard from the los angeles arc the the ex-fiance painter guy from the snow of london arc but instead it's it's the bad guys that we're supposed to vilify the show has been telling us they're stealing from the rich they're like you know taking down these bad people and then in the end it's like but they're not that bad thumbs up and it's like but i think i think we should go around and say what our favorite or our most the thing we hate the most about this whole scheme <laughs> i think i think it's a skyscraper because like oh, there's yes. no reason and it doesn't make any sense how do you build a skyscraper on an island with a team of like 20 people no and then it just falls over as a joke like what yeah. I think mine's still the the other bad guys showing up. That still pisses me off. Mm. It doesn't make any sense at all. <laughs> did you enjoy it when you thought, did you think that Amara was Breaking Bad? No, I knew he wasn't because the show's very predictable and it's like, obviously he's not. Um, and also it wouldn't make sense even if he was Breaking Bad to me or whatever, because it's like, um... He was in on it too. Like this man also like Edamura helped ruin your life and you're just going to come help him. But I could see if you promise that like you're going to get revenge on Laurent. <laughs> Sorry, Eddie's just like, oh, no, I don't recognize you. The guy that was there before, he had messy hair and he wore glasses. You've got no glasses and slicked back hair. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, it was, what revenge could he possibly like? Also, what could he possibly be promising him that he'd be like, yeah, I'll forgive you. And also, this is a really good idea. I'm going to go along with it. So, so the one reason that I thought that I actually bought that Makoto was Breaking Bad, was betraying Laurent, was that I knew people were upset by the ending. And I had a glimmer of hope mm. that the reason people were upset was because they took this optimistic, pure-hearted child and made him a villain by the end. And I was like, I can see how that would upset a lot of people in the fandom, 
but great. I love it. Oh, no, they didn't do that. <laughs> now I see why they're really upset. So I I thought there would be one big twist on the series to to cap things off, but I guess, no, it, it ended up being predictable instead. But anyway, sorry, Nick, Nick, what's your most, the part about this that you hate the most? Um, That they made a big deal about the whole Edamora trying to one-up Laurent, and it was all, it all came down to this moment where he thought outside the box in a way that would really, that was, you know, very poetically appropriate. Like, hey, I just brought back this guy that, you know, you took down and wants revenge on you in order to pull one over on you. And if it was just down to Cassano doing this whole thing of like, yeah, sure, I'll get on this to to fool Laurent and I'll get a good amount of money out of it. I feel like I would have accepted that. It was the presence of the other two that really pushed it into the no, this makes no sense. They they should <laughs> they they should not have feel this way about them. The last time that Edamora was anywhere near Sam, he was trying to have him killed. Like at least when <laughs> at least with Edamora's case part in uh the whole scam against Eddie, Edamora was being fooled at the end by Cynthia as well. Uh, they, he didn't mm-hmm. know about it when they were doing the final thing to get him to give up all of his money. Uh, so that pushed it too far, but it's the fact that Edamora has that big moment in the middle of this rant that he has where suddenly he starts laughing. And he's like, I finally got one over on Laurent. And meanwhile, both Laurent and Oz are just looking at him like, okay, clearly you're like bringing up some real emotions thing, but you're kind of pushing this too far and we know that you're faking. It's just like, you didn't really fool him then. So what are you celebrating? And it really took that moment yeah. away from it. And it's like, so all this, this whole one up thing that you did was completely not worth it. But after that happened, it made me start examining everything else. And it was like, and I realized all the, this basically that entire episode is pointless. There is no practical purpose for the sake of the actual scam for them to fly them out to this Island and to have this identical office building that, I mean, they go to all these lengths and then you're wondering, as you see, like the flashback of like how they set stuff up uh, with the chair, with, with the sword in it, with the, you see a flash of them painting the walls earlier and you don't know why they're painting the hallway and stuff like that. And then you realize, Oh, they're painting a set and everything like that. And it just makes you realize none of this had any purpose behind it, except we want them to go through with the business meeting for three minutes before we burst in and wave fake guns at them. And then it makes you realize there's no dramatic purpose for keeping the audience in the dark about this beyond, oh, look, we fooled you. Because there's all the question of, is Edamora going to go through with this? Has he gotten so close to this woman that is kind of trying to treat him as a, as a, as a son uh, for herself that he's going to be able to go through with, with, with fooling her? Uh, and everyone is like in character wondering about this. Like when they're huddled in the van before they go through it, that they're like, what if something goes wrong? Well, I guess we'll improvise. And then it's like, well, he got her to the Island guys. What are you worried about? (laughs) It's all done. It was all pointless and I hated it. Yeah. It was just a bunch of unnecessary money they spent for fun because they're weird and they wanted to have fun. I guess for Dorothy's sake, who, what? Which if they had pressed that point, it would have been at least understandable. 
Ugh, but they didn't. And then also Dorothy's alive, I guess. She just has amnesia. <laughs> and she like happened to get the ring that Laurent threw into the ocean that a fish ate that her new family <laughs> that served might, that, might, that might be my actual least favorite part of that. <laughs> so, it was so stupid. I hate this. I hated Case 4. I, I at least appreciate that... <sighs> Like that moment at the end of the penultimate episode where they walk out onto the island and the building collapse, like that is such a big WTF moment that I almost think it was maybe worth the whole thing. Kind of, maybe like it's clear. I think that, that's the that's the whole that's the reason to do that whole arc. But it's just like the fact that they don't come up with a good justifiable reason for it all to happen in the final episode is, uh, yeah, is bad. I get where you're coming from. But I'm just going to go back to what I said before. It's all in the reveal. And the reveal was terrible. And the explanation for why they built the building was because. So. <laughs> right, like, yeah. if, there, if there weren't that final episode, if it, if it just ended, if the series ended on that note of WTFery, then I think, yeah, it would be good. But like the reveal lets it down. So it ends up feeling very hollow. One, one thing I think is. Um, they're talking about the island reminded me of i thought the way that this that case four recontextualizes the the whole like scam group was kind of fascinating like seeing uh Xion, the korean lady like kind of with it from the start and be one of the people that inducted laurent into it was interesting but it felt so weird to me how it in giving Laurent this elaborate backstory that he was tied into Edamora's father and everything, it ended up making Cynthia and Abby feel like also rans that like they explain how Laurent recruited them. And it's just like everything that jumps from their, their backstory they got before to how they became people part of his team was like, we have no, like how did Cynthia become so rich that she owns a private Island? And it's just like, eh, mm. who knows? Not me. <laughs> yeah. Like it, it just felt weird in how recontextualizing how Laurent got involved. It felt like it all made sense. And like them getting inducted was just like, eh, he just recruited them. Eh. And until that point, I was like, I thought of every member of the the new generation team as being these like really cool figures that had these elaborate backstories. And then it's just like, oh, no, he just kind of found them on the street. And, yeah. yeah. It was disappointing. Also, before this is a two-hour podcast, <laughs> um, any final thoughts about this? I loved how uh, she, uh, Abby, when she's pretending to be a princess, gets this is a obscure um, brand transformation that she's eating second kitchen, which people might not know that in Japan, Wendy's is labeled Wendy's first kitchen. So the second kitchen is is actually Wendy's. Important trivia. Oh, had no idea. <laughs> Nick, any last thoughts? I appreciated the effort to bring Edamora's backstory full circle uh, with the stuff involving Oz. Um, I actually do appreciate that they have the reveal at the end of, no, Oz was doing this for personal but good reasons, and he was not actually just a child trafficker the whole time. He took the fall because of this thing. And he actually told his wife and that that was also something that kind of made me think maybe you should have done more of that guys, because a, because he trusted his wife with the truth. She didn't resent him for the rest of her life, even though Edamora couldn't understand. And maybe if you had 
you know, trusted people a little bit more to tell them things and to tell Edamora things, maybe things wouldn't have been so stressful for you at the very end there when you weren't sure if he was going to side with this one woman that you were just trusting to gain the trust of uh, <laughs> and could have potentially ruined your 10-year-long plan. So, oh, and um, I actually have one little positive thing to note about the whole creepy scene where um, they have uh, Abby stripped down to inspect her for some reason, Mm -hmm. which is actually really like Edinburgh's reaction to it, where he goes right to the one male guy there and is trying to cover up his eyes so he can't see. No, 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 wait, no, he, he has an iPad and is trying to take pictures of her and Edinburgh is covering the the iPad. So he can't take pictures. Oh, it's actually, it's actually like, all right, you, you, occasionally you're a pretty good guy, but, more, but, you're, <laughs> yeah. but your, your plan was stupid. <laughs> I absolutely hated that that guy. The oh, you're so yeah, creepy, Suzaku Henchman. Yeah, he, he was only good when he was drunk. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I have a lot of negative thoughts about the series as a whole. I guess because yeah. of the way that the last arc tainted them. And mm-hmm. what's weird is that, like, I know that I've been mostly just kind of like letting out a lot of bottled up feelings on this podcast. And I'm sorry for the numerous rants that I've gone on. Uh, but the weird thing is, I actually do want more of this show because <laughs> I feel yeah. like it's probably not going to be more of that. It's probably going to be more of stuff that was in the second and third cases, which were my favorite two cases in the whole thing. Uh, and I would like more of those. So mm-hmm. I like overall, I didn't hate the series. I liked it a lot. And when I cried, the one moment I cried was when, um, Edimura thought that his dad had betrayed him oh. on the boat and like killed Abby and, um, what's her name? Cynthia. <laughs> Cynthia. That's right. And like, I felt bad for him. Like I was in my head, I was like, this isn't pro- this probably isn't real, but like he was so upset that I was like, okay. And like I cried. <laughs> so they did a good job with a lot of it. I just hated how it ended, you know? Ugh. Also, yeah. I kept on expect this is a very minor complaint in comparison to everything else, but after they introduced Dorothy and Oz and it was the whole the Wizard of the Far East, I was like, Where uh-huh. when are all the other Wizard of Oz sources going to show up? <laughs> there weren't any. <laughs> that one I noticed and I was like, come on. <laughs> Well, you know, if you actually look very carefully, the toilets they're using, they're all Toto toilets, so. Oh, my God. Okay. Anyways. <laughs> all right. So we all hated the last part, but overall didn't hate the whole show. Yeah. And I think it's interesting how inventing all of our frustrations about the, ca- the fourth case, I think they are surprisingly solvable with minor tweaks. Like, I feel like for all of our big, as as frustrated and angry as we are by the things, like. I feel like it's easy to imagine, like, tweak this little thing, make, like, give Edmar a little more empathy, make him, you know, like, show him during that time when he's there, like, you know, talking to the kids or, like, a little bit less sympathy for the evil mom and stuff like that. Like, I feel like, or uh, oh. a little bit more explanation of, like, why they had to, you know, like, maybe they didn't actually write the check until the meeting. Or it's like, there are all these little things that could solve these such big problems. So I think, yeah, I think I kind of agree with Nick that, like, there is potential in more as long as they don't make such tiny errors that affect the quality so wildly. My biggest problems with the show were the writing of that fourth case. And I am mostly in agreement with you. I think that the first big hurdle is like, if you, this was something that like Nicole, my my partner and I watched this series together. Nicole and I were at numerous points 
uh, saying at the screen in that first uh, episode where Makoto has joined this company, you don't know what's going on. Once he sees the, the, you know, child traffic kids, we kept on going, call your friends, tell them what's going on. And <laughs> I feel like it would have been a much better sequence than instead of him moping around until he realizes he's been had. If instead he actually goes to them as like, Hey guys, I know I said I was out, but there's this thing and I really need your help. This is really, really serious. And they're like, Oh no, we know about that. And then you could just have the exact same explosion that he has to Laurent. It's not a very big change and it just gives him a little bit more agency in what happens. Uh, and the, the whole thing, like, the fact that it should have been revolving around those kids and it didn't is frustrating. They make a big thing about how the first time that Makoto tries to get away with the kids, uh, the oldest of them who kind of like takes position of as their leader is like, nobody wants us. Our family sold us. Where would we possibly go? Right, like in, in that moment, I thought like, what is different about the way that he's bossing them around versus the way they've been trafficked their entire lives. And then later he comes back in with a gun and is even yeah. more forceful. It's like, which that uh, was actually the key that made me realize this is not going to be where they get away with it. And it's not just that, you know, there's five more episodes or whatever it was at that point. But yeah, the fact that those kids basically are only ever background material from that point onward means that you don't see any of like, Oh, well they, solved that one hurdle that Makoto had in his way. But instead it's just like, no, no, we got rid of the people who were going to sell you. So we'll just, you know, child traffic you into a, into loving families, basically. <laughs> yeah. It was weird. Ugh, well, that's great pretender. <laughs> it, uh, it great pretended. It pretended to be a great anime. Yeah. Until it tripped at the finish line <laughs> and got stranded on an Island somewhere, I guess. <laughs> an, an island that somehow someone became rich enough to buy and then abandoned people on with the rem- remnants of a skyscraper <laughs> well, well i would say loved it at first weaved it at the end hope it gets better <laughs> I, I would say like i i'd still recommend this especially to people who are maybe not so much into anime recently and like are more into western shows and it has a lot of like energy. I think people that are more familiar with prestige Western shows would be into. And if they enjoy the first season, I th- think I would not, I wouldn't tell them do not watch, do not touch the second season. Like if they are intrigued for more, I think there are intriguing mysteries to dive into in the second season, but just to warn them to be prepared, to be very frustrated and to want to vent and to listen to a podcast where you can vent with the hosts about Woo! it. Cause yeah, I, I think I, in the end, I do not regret watching it at all. I, I think I had a fun time watching it and a fun time talking about it and venting about the things that were really frustrating. Yeah. Um, I mean, there are storytelling shortcomings in that final part, but it's not like the whole thing becomes unwatchable. It just becomes frustrating. And it's, you know, the production is still very good. Uh, I think that you if you just kind of like play individual clips uh, from all the parts, it's like, yeah, the quality doesn't go down or anything like that. Uh, It's just that I don't like the way the story goes. And that is a much more one explainable and two, uh, I guess compartmentable uh, part uh, way of uh, having frustrations with, with the show. And I think that this could potentially be a way, one of those series that like, oh, I don't like anime, but I like blank. 
uh, series the way that, uh, you know, stuff like, you know, Cowboy Bebop is for some people. Um, it could be that way for like, if, you know, you're someone who's like really into like the oceans movies or something like that. And you're like, Oh, I really love high series. That's a very, very easy uh, series to recommend to someone who's not usually into anime. True. Yeah. Well, thank you for listening to us rant about great pretender. Let's go into some things that we unconditionally recommend people actually ah, consume. You know, I don't watch anything. <laughs> so, it's been two days. <laughs> Nick, do you have any non anime recommendation to point well, people towards? It's funny that you use the word consume Jeff, because my recommendation is because we're in the holiday season and Ooh. my mom sent me a care package as part of her, uh, along with the uh, Christmas gifts, which include one of my favorite cookies, which is snickerdoodles. Uh, so my recommendation is cinnamon yeah. cookies of all sorts because they are delicious. That's a top tier cookie. I support this. They are top tier. I've not had a snickerdoodle in years. You Then my recommendation applies to you as well. <laughs> all right. Uh, I'm going to recommend... Uh, well, I'm still pretty new at it, but I started playing Slay the Spire. Uh, and it is addicting it it is a roguelike card deck building game so you um i I like deck building games and as of hades like roguelike games so i think it is a bit more roguelike than roguelite in terms like hades has a bunch of progression that sticks with you between runs and slay the spire seems to have some progression that you unlock more cards but mostly you're completely resetting each time and yeah it's really fun i like how it is completely turn-based so i can you know like watch tv or do something else while playing but i'm still learning everything so i kind of can't do that but uh yeah it's it's pretty fun okay i have one and it's not really a recommendation it's very conflicted um ah! so i watched uh, the first episode of sweet home which is like a uh k-drama based off of a webtoon and it was it's very spooky and that's it was actually a fine show i thought until there was a fight scene and it started playing um, the song, I think, Champions by Imagine Dragons. What? <laughs> I've tried to, I've tried, uh, Warriors by Imagine Dragons, like Ooh, a League of oh, Legends okay. song. And it That's was, a it, took song. Me, it took me so far out of this episode of this big fight that was happening because this, this Imagine Dragons song was blasting louder than anything else in the show. And I was like, I don't think I can watch this actually because of this song. I totally understand that. I play League of Legends at the time that that song was put on the login (laughs) screen, and it kind of ruined the game while it was on the login screen. Yeah, and this song's just blasting during this really important moment in the show. And like, I looked it up, and everyone's like, yeah, the show's still pretty good, except for every fight scene that song plays. I was like, what? I can't watch this. Ugh, but if you could look past it, it was kind of fun. <laughs> I didn't know that Imagine Dragons did a League of Legends song. Huh. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah dude. It's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it's. I recommend you go listen to it after this. That's my recommendation, actually. Uh, okay, well, that's the end of our show. You can leave a review on Apple Podcasts, send us feedback at loverdowebit.com or on Twitter at loverdowebit. Thank you, Nick, so much for coming on. Where can people find you on the internet? Uh, you can primarily find me on the podcast Weekly Manga Recap, a show that I do with Rolo T. Every Wednesday night, we talk about mostly Shonen Jump manga, but occasionally some other stuff, too. 
also, I have a YouTube channel where I do quarterly uh, jump date videos where I also talk about Shonen Jump manga. I do a lot of talking about Shonen Jump manga, Jeff. I, what's the Shonen Jump thing? I never heard of it. Anyway. Anyways. Any. <laughs> oh, is that is that like when uh, Makoto and Abby jump off the building? That's the, that's the Shonen Jump? I get it. I get it now. Anyways, Jeff, where can people find you? <laughs> you can find my terrible jokes at definitely Jeff. On Twitter. And then you can join me in bullying Jeff at any other name on Twitter. <laughs> it's going to be months or uh, like like a month and a half maybe old at the time this episode comes out. But, you know, that, that recent post where I compared War Greymon's red hair to King Bowser's red hair. Very important content. You should go follow. Stop. Anyways, bye. <laughs> join us next week for our eccentric family classic review. Which Yay! should I be excited for? I don't know anything about that show. Watch it. It's coming out. <laughs> oh, should I watch it for this podcast? I'm not sure. Oh, my God. Bye. Bye. And as we always say, my world's on fire. How about yours? That's the way I like it. And I'll never get anime. you for your support in these trying times of me trying to be on tiktok <laughs> anime tiktok is um quite frightening actually there is an anime tiktok yeah dude there's a tiktok of everything under the sun i mean i'm sure that there's a lot of you know setting clips to you know songs or whatever it's like amvs yeah. for people who are too lazy to add a whole amv together there's like this whole trend right now with the kakegurui like sounds and everyone's like trying to lip sync to them. And it's horrifying, honestly. Uh. <laughs> I wouldn't have thought the kakegurui was still relevant. Oh yeah, the kids love it. Mm. That's how you know what animes are popular. See, Nick, Nick, you really need to get into the manga reviewing TikTok. <laughs> oh yeah, that'll be <laughs> that video and audio element of manga that's, uh, uh, yeah. There was a there was a trend going around of people showing off their manga collections. Yeah, that's uh-huh. cool. It was like a beat going faster and faster, and it was people stacked up their books and they kept throwing them to the side, and so you'd see a new cover every time the beat hit, and it was kind of fun. That's cool. I actually, I actually appreciate that. Although my manga collection's not especially big in terms of like physical stuff, so I just realized an idea I've had for a while that I was always like, oh, this this wouldn't work as a full podcast. Maybe it'd be perfect for TikTok, where I just smell manga okay. and review it based on the smell. Right. <laughs> okay. Just go. <laughs> that would be actually a very um, funny TikTok page if that's all you did. <laughs> yeah. No other content. And I think I should. Sne- I would sneak in like actual criticism. Like I don't know. Like mm, smells like incest. Or <laughs> oh no. Yeah, that would do probably pretty well on TikTok. Oh Nick, this is your first. This, our, our new, um, our, our four, fourth co-host of this episode is Shirtless Sephiroth in jeans. Okay. <laughs> I think we can appreciate him in the outline. Jeff refuses to remove him from our show notes, so. Oh, no. I, didn't, I didn't see you because I only saw the first five lines at first. He's a permanent member, I suppose. I, I refuse to remove him. In fact, I upgraded him to the jeans version, so, you know. Is that like a smash? Is that like a smash skin or something? Yeah, with normal pants, but then someone like photoshopped him having jeans on. So okay, and and I assume the sneakers as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know what he normally wears because I'm just so used to the jeans version now. I hate you. Why are the lyrics to All Star 
grayed out at the end of this. Please, no, don't please spoil get it rid of Annie. those. I hate that this happens to me every episode. <laughs> They're grayed out to be a surprise to Annie because so she doesn't <laughs> see them. Also, there is below them the genius.com commentary for those lines. <laughs> really? <laughs> I love how stupid they are. Okay, hold on one sec before you start. Sorry, Annie, you need to blow out a candle. Very specific need, but okay. What we don't know is that actually that candle has the Green Power Rangers powers inside of it, so he's just trying to save Tommy. Oh my god. <laughs> Why am I not coming back? I just said that you were actually blowing the candle out because it contains the Green Rangers powers, and so you were trying to save <laughs> Tommy's life. Uh, sure. I know what that means. You guys aren't old enough, okay? <laughs> <laughs> is that a Power Rangers thing? Yes! <laughs> I said the Green Ranger. <laughs> I mean, that could be like, uh, who's that Green Lantern guy? I don't know. Maybe he's a ranger. I don't know. <laughs> hey, one of the Red Rangers went to the, my rival high school, and that's all I know. Okay. It was, it was their claim to fame. They had nothing else. So I was like, ha. <laughs> one of the Red Power Rangers when he- <laughs> Yeah, one of them. <laughs> the, the main actor on Lost went to my rival high school, so. Chris occasionally talks about LaShawn McCoy going to his high school, so. I don't think I. I don't know if anyone, anyone famous went to my high school. I got Jessica Chastain, and that's it. Okay, I actually know who that is. So. <laughs> Boom! She does not recognize our school at all. <laughs> <laughs> I I only have um, Benjamin Netanyahu currently running Israel into the ground. Oh my god! Went to a random. Didn't you have somebody else, or was it your college? Oh, my college has a couple. Has like Lin Manuel Miranda and well, Michael no Bay. No one cares about him. I think Lil but, Dicky. Oh, Lil, yeah, Lil Dicky. Ugh, I forgot he counts. I was I went to the same school as Tim Tebow while he was there, so probably the most famous guy that I know. Were you friends? Nope, I did run into him in, in the uh, dining hall once, and I was like, I don't want to bother this guy. He's, he probably gets people bothering him on campus all the time, so I'm just like, you know, just like nod at him, let him eat his food, and then walked away. Uh, that would be me, but then I'd always be like, but what if we could have been best friends? <laughs> well, um, considering how, <laughs> considering that Tim Tebow is very, very like Christian, probably wouldn't have worked out. So yeah, probably not. <laughs> He's more famous now for being Christian than for having been an athlete. So I'm never going to direct you to hot Japanese wrestlers again. <laughs> <laughs> what was so, the name of that one? Kota Ibushi. Oh yeah. Oh my god! <laughs> You're sorry. <laughs> you look distracted. <laughs> Um, step aside, Sephiroth. I'm sorry. What are you doing? Are you adding? <laughs> what have I no. done? No! I hate living here in this <laughs> Google Doc. In this podcast. I hate this family. Are his nipples uneven? Stop talking about Some this. Some people's nipples are uneven. Jeff, start the podcast. <laughs> okay, I'm starting this. I'm over. Okay. I have to say that one podcast where they didn't know the word himbo and thought he was a himbo. They also said the backgrounds look terrible. And I was like, oh, the like, I understand maybe not finding it, like, exactly the thing. Maybe you think it's too saturated or, like, too over the top. But thinking it's, like, objectively bad, like, how? No, no. If you're going to listen to League of Legends music, you need to listen to Pentakill, their metal albums that they put out. Oh, my God. They're so good. You're, you have to listen to KDA. They're I hate great. KDA. <laughs> <laughs> it's just different types of musical taste. This is a problem. Well, at least we can all agree that Warriors by Imagine Dragons is not good. Yeah, it's 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 the two it's the two bicep arms clasping together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm so like as someone who like 
Like I used to be on the forum that birthed Defense of the Ancients in the Warcraft 3 modding era. How are their music how is their music being made? Oh, I don't Jack. I don't I, I'm oh, lost. Jack, I don't understand League of Legends. It's wild. I think it all was it like started by that one Jinx music video, like her character introduction. I don't know. Uh, it was there was actually uh some stuff before that, like Vi got her own theme song. Uh but Jinx's mm. is way better. Uh, yeah, they Jinx's made the big goes. music video. They made the big music video for Jinx, and I think that that was probably their the start of like we're doing big music video events. So, mm-hmm. yeah, Jinx is pretty cool. I use her in like a discard aggro deck. She's pretty cool. Oh, get your Legends of Runeterra bullshit <laughs> out of here! It sounds like your oh. your side of this fandom is even more bullshit. Hey, we have great music. <laughs> 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 I'm just remembering the fight scene and that song starts playing and I thought because I was in a discord call watching it with friends I thought someone was pranking everybody and like blasting that song I couldn't <sighs> anyways that's my recommendation I'm trying to I'm trying to make it like a pun with a League of Legends champion name and I can't think of one even though there are like 2,000 at this point <laughs> oh yeah I I don't even know them all anymore I want you to know that Nick when you were talking about the TNT show I was like, should I make a joke about how, like, is TNT the origin story for the the teenage Ninja Turtles before they became mutant (laughs) Ninja Turtles? But I held it in until this moment. From a well-known cable channel show? I didn't have cable. I'm sorry. Grow up, Jeff. (laughs) And as we always say, my world's on fire. How about yours? That's the way I like it. And I'll never get anime. That's bad. That was bad. Wait, I've got one. I've got one. Hey, now, you're Ali Star. You're a big minotaur. Hey. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, is he still a champion? Oh, God. Well, of course he's still a champion. They don't get rid of any of them. Does the only champions I care about are Digimon. They are the digital champions, not League of Legends. Did he get a rework yet? <sighs> they did it like six or six years ago. I was still playing when they did it. Oh my god! So no one will ever play this man again or this Minotaur again. Yeah, they basically turned his E. You know, the thing where he heals everything around him. That's like his passive mm-hmm. now. I think. No, no, no. That, that that was his passive, and they and they turned it into like when you cast an ability, he tramples stuff around him. Oh my god, this is so irritating. There's too many champions. There are, yes. <laughs> it's just not it's not sustainable. I mean, every rookie evolves into a champion. Everyone knows that.